Indeed. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, if it's your first time here at Chillicothe Bible Church, or it has been a while, uh, we are glad you're here. Um, we, uh, we do celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and that He has therefore given life to all who put their trust in Him. Uh, this morning we're going to be in the book of Romans. Um, if you have a Bible and you... Uh, want to turn there and join me, we're going to talk about uh, three incredible benefits that come to us, uh, that overflow to us from Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, We're going to be in Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 9 through 11. We're just going to look at three verses. Uh, Those of you who uh, are usually here, uh, it's a short message this morning. I apologize. All right, but um, we'll uh, uh, we'll look at three benefits of Jesus' death. And uh, before we do that, let me just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the text. And Father, uh, we do pray this morning on this Resurrection Sunday that we celebrate Christ being raised from the dead. And we look at your word, which tells us about the significance of these events and why they're important and why it matters that Jesus died and why it matters that he was raised. Uh, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand it, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and to be gripped and held um, by the truth that we understand and to uh, live our life in light of the fact that Jesus has died for our sins and been raised from the dead to give us new life. And Father, we pray uh, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me, uh, uh, let me read here verse 9, first of all. Uh, verse 9, Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Now, it's been a few weeks since I have been in the pulpit uh, and talked about justification. And so let me just break this down for us a little bit. What justification means is that through the death of Christ, we are declared innocent, and not just innocent, but righteous uh, in the sight of God. That That if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, if we believe that He died on the cross, not just as a historical fact, but for our sins in our place, dying the death that we deserve, then what we receive is a declaration from God that we are righteous in God's sight. That we possess the righteousness of God by faith. Now this is an amazing thing. That we are not just acquitted of our sin, we are not just declared not guilty of our sin, but we are declared to have the same righteousness before God as Jesus Himself has. That we are that tightly identified with Him. That we have, in other words, if you, if, if you forgive me, I don't want to be irreverent here, but that we who have put our faith in Jesus Christ have as much right to enter heaven when we die as Jesus does. That's what justification means. 
that we are justified by his death. Uh, that's why we call the day when Jesus was tortured and murdered and hung on a cross Good Friday. It's not a good day in any other sense that our Lord was crucified, but that out of that event, great good overflows to us. Amazing things happen to us. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, who died in our place, we have the righteousness of Jesus. He, it, we make a swap, in other words. We trade, when we put our trust in Jesus, we trade our sin and the penalty that we deserved to Jesus. And in exchange, Jesus trades us His righteousness for our sin. So that we are justified and declared righteous. Now let me give you an illustration maybe of what this might mean. How this might work. Uh, this, is, this is probably the closest human story that I have ever come across about this. Uh, occurred during the Revolutionary War. There was a, uh, an old evangelical preacher at that time named Peter Miller. And Peter Miller was a faithful gospel preacher and believer, but he had a neighbor who was not a Christian. Uh, in fact, he was not only not a Christian, he was an aggressive non-Christian. And he used to like to make fun of Peter Miller and all of the guys who went to his congregation. And what stupid... Uh, ridiculous people who would go to that church and listen to that that guy, my neighbor, preach. And he took great delight in ridiculing and mocking all of his followers, all the people who were Christians in his life. But over the course of time, uh, Miller's neighbor joined the army, and then it was found out that he had joined the army because he wanted to work for the British, and he was a traitor. And so General Washington himself sentenced Miller's neighbor to death. He was supposed to hang. And when Peter Miller heard this, he set out immediately from his house to find General Washington's camp. And he walked 60 miles to get there. And when he got there, he went to plead at General Washington's tent for his neighbor's life. And he said, he explained the situation. He said, I know he is an ornery fellow. I know that he is a miserable person. And I know that he is a traitor. But I want you to spare his life. And General Washington said, you know, I appreciate that. And, and uh, you know, if I were in your shoes, uh, I would also want to plead for my friend's life. And Peter Miller looked back at him and said, I never said he was my friend. <laughs> In fact, he's not my friend. He's my worst living enemy. He makes fun of me every day. And I, um, and I, and I understand that he deserves to die. But he's not my friend. I came to plead for his life in spite of the fact that he's my enemy. And General Washington said, well... That changes the situation entirely. I cannot believe that a man would willingly walk 60 miles to plead for the life of his enemy. And so I will grant your request. And so with pardon in hand, he hurried off to the scaffold to rescue his miserable neighbor. 
And as he got there, the man was ascending the steps of the scaffold to go up and have a rope around his neck. And he said, oh, here comes Peter Miller to get his revenge and watch me dance on the end of this rope. And he could not have been more astonished to find out why Peter Miller was really there. Bringing pardon to a man who was his enemy. And I don't know how that particular story ends, how, what happened afterward, except that I do know that the man's life was spared. And I like to think that Peter Miller got rid of one of his enemies that day, that he made him his friend. And in a sense, that's what verse 9 is talking about here in Romans. That God has got rid of his enemies because he has made them his friends. And that in Jesus' death, what he's doing is taking the death that we deserved. And he is offering us life instead. Only different than Peter Miller and far better than Peter Miller, he didn't just simply obtain pardon for us. He actually dies the traitor's death that we deserve, the death that should have been ours, and obtains pardon for us that way, and sets us free to live instead of die. And God has turned his former enemies into his friends, and we are declared righteous in his sight, and our penalty has been paid. And there's more than that, even. According, look at, if, you, if you look at Paul's argument here in verse 9, it says this, If it's true that Jesus' death in our place results in our justification, which is our being declared righteous, then we are also saved from God's wrath. That's what he says there in the second half of verse 9. How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? And what Paul is doing there is he's reminding us that the worst kind of death is not simply physical. The Bible talks about death in a variety of ways. One of the ways it talks about it, obviously, is physical death, and that's something we're all familiar with. And there are all kinds of ways to die. You know, I myself fall into the Woody Allen school of death. I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. All right? (laughs) Um, But there are all kinds of ways to die, right? And some of them are intensely painful and lingering and stretch on for months sometimes you see somebody that you that you love that gets alzheimer's and you watch them slowly die mentally long before they die physically to where people that you love don't even know you anymore and the bible does talk about these things as forms of death and they're terrible and they're horrible but they are not the worst one Because when all of that suffering is over, your physical body dies. And that's bad. And that's why we grieve when we go to funerals. Amen? Because there's something in our hearts that knows this is not the way it's supposed to be. But the worst kind of death is actually after that. That if you die... Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, you will also experience what Paul here calls God's wrath, what is elsewhere called in the book of Revelation, the second death, which is eternity in hell. 
which is shut out from the presence of God and the majesty of His power forever and ever in what the Bible calls the lake of fire. And Paul's point here at the end of verse 9 is that since we have been justified through faith in Jesus' death on our behalf, we are also saved not only from physical death, not only from the consequences of our sin that way, but from the eternal consequences of sin, from the wrath of God. That we are saved not just from physical death, but from also going to hell, which is what the ultimate, the ultimate destination that we deserve according to the Bible because we're sinners. That Jesus' death saves us from all of the consequences of our sin. Not just the ones in this life, but the ones for the next life, the one that goes on forever. And we are saved from the wrath of God. That is a huge benefit that flows from Jesus' death. Amen? I don't know about you, but I've, I've read about hell some in my Bible. By the way, Jesus talked about it more than anybody else in the entire Bible. And he said, you don't want to go there. And I agree. I don't want to go there. Right? And Jesus said, in my death, you don't have to go there. Because if you put your trust in me, you don't have to go. In fact, you get to go to heaven and know for sure that that's where you're headed. So that when you die as a believer in Christ, death is not a fearful thing. You know where you're going. You know where you're going. You're saved from the wrath of God. And there's also another benefit. Verse 10, look at this one. This is a good one. This is from Jesus' resurrection. If Jesus' death saves us from the wrath of God, saves us from death, we also are saved by His resurrection life for new life. Read this. For if while we are His enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Now, the word reconciliation means making peace between two parties that are at war. It's a peace offering. It's a, a way of making peace between two people who have been enemies, two people who have been in conflict for uh, maybe generations or maybe the entire life. They're at war. Now, if you are a soldier and you go to war, the highest act of bravery that, that you can do is to lay down your life for the other guys in your platoon, the other guys in your squad. And if you do that as a warrior, what do they do? They, they give your widow a folded flag and they probably posthumously award you one of those bigger awards, one of those big medals. The Navy Cross, maybe. Or the Silver Star. Or the Congressional Medal. And they say, thanks from a grateful nation for your husband who laid down his life. Right? That's if you lay down your life for those on your side, for the people in your platoon. Because as Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. But guess what Jesus did? He laid down his life for those who were his enemies. 
Think about this. No one goes to basic training, gets their marksmanship badge, and goes off to war and says, you know, I'd like to die for the enemy. You don't do that, right? That's not the objective. I think it was General Patton who, who said, uh, you know, being a hero is not dying for your country. It is making the other guy die for his country. Right? You, you do not go die for the enemy, at least willingly, right? But Jesus came not for the people who were, hit, who were at peace with God, not for the people who really liked God, not for the people who were interested in the things of God, but for people who were rebellious against God, who were enemies with God, who wanted nothing to do with God, who had lived their entire life separated from God and wanted to continue that was for those people that Jesus came and made peace by his death and resurrection between them and God. And guess what? By the way, if you are alive as a human being, the scripture says about you that you were born an enemy of God. And that every act of sin that you commit is an act of treasonous rebellion against God and that by committing it, you reinforce your enemy combatant status in war with God. And God sent His Son for you and for me. That He might make peace between the two of us. Now, let me ask you another question. Okay? Would you willingly send your child to die for someone who hates you? Not me. I'm not sending my kid to die for somebody I like. But for somebody who hates me? Someone who wants nothing to do with me? Someone who is in rebellion against me? That's what God does. He sends Jesus to make peace with those who are His enemies. And God uses what would be the very thing, the death of His Son, that in normal circumstances would lead only to greater hostility between people. Think about this. If your enemy kills your kid, how do you react? How would you react? Or in a parable Jesus tells about the about the, uh, the landowner who sends his son to claim his share from the tenants. And they say, this is the heir, let's kill him and take the property for ourselves. Jesus says, what will that landowner do? And he says, he will come and kill those robbers and give the land to someone else, right? And that would normally be what you would expect. Except that's not what God does. The very thing that ought to lead to greater hostility, the death of the Son of God, in fact, is the thing that God uses to make peace. And Paul's point is this in verse 10, that if reconciliation and peace with God was the result of Christ's death, then having been reconciled, we know that we also get eternal Life. Look at the text. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. In other words, it's not just that now that Christ 
has died and been raised, we now escape from hell. It's also that we get new life, both now and forever and ever. We receive new life. The the resurrection is not simply about Jesus not staying dead. I mean, that's exciting that Jesus is the victor over death for himself. But Jesus is not simply the victor over death for himself. He's also the victor over death for us. And we have new life in his new life. The resurrection is not only proof that God accepted Jesus' payment for sin on our behalf, it's also his proof that we receive eternal life as a result. That we are looking forward to living the same kind of life that Jesus lives. That just as he was raised from the dead, so we will be raised from the dead. And we get not only the benefits of his death, but also the benefits of his resurrection life. God in his reconciliation to us does not just cancel out the penalty, he also gives us new life. He gives us new life. Now verse 11 gives us one more reason, one more thing that comes to us, a reason to celebrate. Verse 11 says, more than that, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. When was the last time you really celebrated something? I mean, really celebrated. Like, pulled out all the stops, bought the steaks, you know, had a party over something, right? Had cake, maybe. Maybe it was the promotion at work. You know, you got a big promotion, you got a big raise. Uh, and so, man, we're going to gather the friends and celebrate. Or maybe you got married, or maybe you had a birthday or an anniversary. Uh, maybe you took a family vacation just to celebrate the joy of being part of your family. Well, as amazing as those celebrations might have been, as followers of Christ, we have constant reasons, according to the scripture here, to celebrate, to celebrate and to rejoice. We are celebrating today because through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are at peace with God. He loves us. He sent His Son to die in our place for our sins and to be raised from the dead to give us new life. And we get to live new life forever and ever and ever. You watch that movie, The Sandlot? I love that movie. Remember when they're telling the legend of the beast, right? And Smalls is in there and he's telling him and he's got the flashlight and he's like, forever. You know, right? Forever. Right? It sounds creepy when he does it, but, but the reality of it is this, okay? Think about this, okay? Imagine that there is a mountain. Pick as tall a mountain as you want. Pick K2, pick um, uh, Kilimanjaro, uh, pick whatever mountain you want. And imagine that every thousand years, there is a sparrow who sharpens his beak once on one side and once on the other on the top of that mountain. And then another thousand years go by and he flies back and he does that again. When he has worn that mountain down to a grain of sand, eternity is just starting. 
is just starting. We will reign forever with Christ because we are at peace with God because Jesus has come and died for our sins and been raised from the dead to give us new life that lasts forever. This body that you have will one day probably go into the ground and it will be food for worms. And then on the great day, the trumpet blast will blow and the archangel will shout and the dead in Christ will rise and be joined with those who are alive and are left at the coming of the Lord and we will be with him in new bodies that never perish, that never wear out, that never get sore knees, that don't get arthritis or gray hair or wrinkles or whose hair does not uh, turn loose. You know, you know, I've gotten a lot more face to wash since I hit 40, right? Um, that stuff will not happen. Our bodies will not wear out. We will live in new bodies, a new life, in the presence of the Savior forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We will live with the Lord. And so we have great reasons to celebrate. We have reasons to break out the champagne and the ribeye every day, right? We have reasons to celebrate because Christ has made peace between us and God and God as a result has given us new life in Him and will one day take us home to be with Him forever. Well, one more thing I want to say here before I close and we uh, do this baptism that has been long awaited. Um, perhaps you came here this morning and you don't do much rejoicing in the Lord. And the reason is that you're not even certain that he, who He is. Um, and you're not certain you believe all this stuff I've been talking about in terms of Jesus and His death and resurrection. But if that's true of you, let me tell you, I have the most wonderful news for you. That it really is true that Jesus really is the Son of God. And He really did die on the cross for your sins. For everything that you have ever done and said and thought that you are not proud of justifiably. Jesus died for that. And He was raised from the dead to give you new life and to put you at peace with God and to carry you home that one day the door you have been knocking on your entire life will open up and you will walk through into the presence of God. That can be yours today. All you have to do is put your trust in Jesus Christ who is the Son of God who did die for your sins and who really was raised from the dead. And you, Scripture says, will be declared righteous and at peace with God. In fact, you'll be declared one of the sons and daughters of the king. And you will enjoy your royal inheritance forever and ever. So I invite you to do that. But I'm going to pray. And then we're going to talk about baptism for a minute. 
and then little Miss Peyton Sir is going to get baptized here this morning. So, uh, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that if there was anyone here who has never put their trust in Jesus Christ, who has never believed that He died on the cross for their sins, and was raised from the dead to give them new life. I pray, Father, that today would be for them the day of salvation, the day that you enter into his life or her life and claim them for your own. Father, I pray they would be bowing right now their heart to you and putting their trust in Jesus and receiving salvation from your Holy Spirit and a new life. And Father, I pray they would be filled with joy as they do so. And Father, I also uh, ask for the rest of us that we would not forget to celebrate the great and marvelous things that you have done for us in Christ, in his death and resurrection, making peace, offering us righteousness, and giving us eternal life. And Father, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me tell you what baptism is and is not. Okay, I'll tell you what it's not, first of all. Okay? Baptism does not save a person.